Well, morning, everyone. Uh, lovely uh, to be with you and uh, opening up God's Word uh, together this morning. Uh, now, our family, we love uh, going to Bradgate Park and exploring um, that, that wonderful park, uh, walking around. I'm sure you've, uh, you've uh, explored it yourself. It's one of the sort of the local Leicestershire uh, landmarks, isn't it? Great place to visit. But one thing that we, uh, we really like about Bradgate Park are the, the ruins of uh, Lady Jane Grey's house. Well, Lady Jane Grey, she was the, the nine-day queen who was sadly executed. And, uh, and here is her house. Um, really sadly, it's, it's in ruins. Um, it's not what it once was. It's a shadow, in fact, of what it once was. Um, if you go into the visitor centre at Bradgate Park, you'll, uh, you'll see, I can't remember whether it's a model or it's a, a picture, but you'll see what that house actually looked like. And it looks glorious, doesn't it? This glorious house. Um, and when you see, um, you know, today, this house in ruins, it's kind of sad. When things aren't what they once were, something that was beautiful and stunning is now in a state of disrepair and, and in ruins. And, and that is the problem with God's people in Psalm 80. Um, it's the issue that bothers the psalmist. And we can see that because in the psalm, maybe you notice, there is this refrain that is repeated um, three, three or four times. Um, if you're familiar with, with morning prayer or evening prayer, those daily offices uh, in the Church of England, and I, I thoroughly recommend you um, doing those, um, often you say a psalm, I've actually say numerous psalms, but into that psalm will be inserted a refrain that you say at the beginning, the middle and the end. And it's the same here. I wonder if you spotted it. It's a, it's a longing, this refrain, and it's a longing for restoration. Verse three, restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Verse seven, restore us, God Almighty, and make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Verse 14, return to us, God Almighty. At verse 19, restore us, Lord God Almighty. You see, something like Lady Jane Grey's house is in ruins. Something is not once what it was. So what is wrong? What's happened? Well, it's likely that this psalm is talking uh, about something that happened in around 722 BC, long time ago, when, when this guy, uh, called Shalmaneser V, started a campaign against Israel, and it was finished by the guy next to him, his successor, Sargon II. They were the rulers of the Assyrian Empire, and they invaded and they destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. It was ruined. It was utterly devastated. You can, you can see in verse 13 of Psalm 80, um, look at that verse, boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on it. You know, these enemies like wild boars have charged into the land and have, have destroyed it, they've plundered it. It's in a bad way. 
And, and that's what is wrong. What once was a beautiful and, and prosperous land is now a ruin. It's not what it once was. And we're told actually what it used to be like. If you look at verses 8 to 11, you can see there you, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You cleared the ground for it. It took root. It filled the land. Its branches reached as far as the sea. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, God's people, Israel, were described as a vine. And, and God took this vine and it says that he planted it in another land. God's people went into another land. The ground was prepared, the, the, the grapes grew, and God takes care of this vine, his people. It, it really prospered. Um, many of you know, but my, my wife Jo's from California, and she comes from um, a region very close to Sonoma and Napa, which produce a lot of wine. You may well have had uh, a bottle of wine from that region. And uh, last summer when we were uh, in the States, uh, we, we did our usually go wine tasting. And, uh, and it's brilliant. And, and the vines, particularly when we're this time, they, they are luscious. Um, you can't see it in the pictures that you're looking at, but they go on and on and on and on. And, and the grapes are juicy. And, and in the same way, this vine, God's people, grew. They were prosperous, it looked great. It says that the branches reached as far as the sea. God's people dominated the land and were enjoying it. But really sadly, whilst we were in California, um, the, the sort of annual wildfires started and they spread very rapidly and some of those vineyards were, were decimated. They were destroyed, ruined, not luscious grapes, but burned grapes. And the same happened with God's people. But why? Why, why, why did this happen? Well, we live uh, in a universe where there are consequences for our actions. Right? You know, if you uh, get caught speeding, uh, you're going to get a ticket. Fine. Penalty. If you uh, use harsh words to somebody, um, it's probably going to hurt them and damage a relationship. There are consequences to our actions. And, and, when, and there are consequences as well for when God's people disobey him. Their ruin that we're experiencing and reading about now is due to God's anger at them. Look at verse 4. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You know, we might struggle with the idea of God being angry. You know, we, we, we talk rightly about God of love and the God of kindness and mercy and compassion. But God also shows a right anger. A right anger at sin. And you see, what God's people had done was that they were rebelling against him and they were being complete hypocrites. Uh, that's what it means by saying, will your anger smolder against the prayers of the people? See, they're praying to God, but their, their prayers are completely insincere and hypocritical. Now, they're, they're, they're as sound as a pound, theologically. Uh, they look on the surface to anyone else as though they love God, and, and they do, I'm sure. But, but actually, they're disobeying God, and they know it. They're not honouring God with their lives. And so God says, all right, 
I'm not going to act. There's consequences to the way that they live. And so you read in verse 6 that they become a laughing stock with those around them. And, and so their cry, which is a genuine one, is a cry for restoration. Verses 3, 7 and 19 is for God to restore them to what they once were. They're asking uh, God to cause them to return to him. They're asking for restoration. In, in verse 14, it changes slightly. and They're asking God himself to turn to them. Verse 15, they ask God to watch over them. Verse 17, for God's hand to rest on them. Verse 17, that, that term, the son of man, is probably in this context a reference to Israel, God's people. That they're, in essence, asking for this broken relationship with God to be restored. And I guess today that we may have similar kind of longings for restoration. Our lives at points might feel like they're in ruins. You may be feeling that at the moment. Well, there is hope here for us. Restoration. You see, that term, son of man, which I just mentioned, probably talking about Israel in this context, but there are different kind of overtones that come from it. You see, elsewhere in the Bible, that's a title, that son of man, for, for God's king. One who would come into the world and, and rule forever. And one who would be the best king. And, and actually around 700 years later from when this was written or, or so, um, one man does enter the world. One man is born into the world and, and he would say of himself, I am the true vine. You see, God's people were a vine, but they mucked it up. They weren't what they were supposed to be. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're not what we're supposed to be. We, we muck our lives up and we seek to live apart from God and we rebel against him. But this man who came into the world... Jesus, he said, I'm the true vine. He is everything that Israel should have been. He was obedient to God in every single way. And the amazing thing that the hope of this restoration is that this true vine says these words in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And as we get to know this vine, as we walk with him, as we live in a relationship with him, our lives can turn around. That's what it means by fruit. So what does the true vine ask us this morning? What does Jesus ask you this morning? Will you let me restore you? Will you let me restore you? But what does that look like for Jesus to restore us? Well, we're going to just watch a short video now telling the story of Deb and how Jesus restored her life. I grew up in an atheist home. Uh, we never, I never went to Sunday school. We never went to church. And life, I lived life on my own terms without any reference to God. Uh, I lurched from one disastrous relationship to another. 
um, looking for love in all the wrong places. And when I was 30, I got involved with a, a guy who's five year, who was five years younger than myself. When I found out that he was doing heroin, um, instead of leaving him, I started taking heroin as well. Um, the, the, that began an, an 18-month ordeal um, as I tried to come off the drug, but I just found it, it, it is incredibly addictive. Um, and life just went from bad to worse. I was staying at a friend's flat, and I remember rummaging around in the drawers for some matches because um, one one way of taking heroin is to light a bit of it and inhale the fumes. It's called chasing the dragon. And while looking for the matches, I found a little Gideon New Testament. And while high on heroin, I, I started reading this um, this little New Testament. I'd never read the Bible before. And I just read there that I was in real trouble, that there was a living God to whom I owed an account for my life, this life that I had just trashed. And um, suddenly I, I realized that there was, I couldn't commit suicide. Life was, was living hell, but death meant facing him, and I was too scared to do that. I saw in, in the Bible that I was in real trouble with a real God. I didn't know who Jesus was. But I knew I had to get to a church. And so I went to a church service on Good Friday, on the morning of Good Friday. And I remember sitting right at the back of the church, near the back door, ready to make a quick getaway. But then they started reading from the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus' crucifixion. And I just sobbed because I realized what I heard was that he had died on the cross for me, that all the things that I had done and the punishment that was coming my way, he had taken on the cross. And when he, when he uh, cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I realized that it was for me that he was forsaken. He took my forsakenness. And I just, I sobbed. I just burst into tears. Um, he had done that for me so that I could not be forsaken. And I just knew that I was God's daughter. And I, I was sobbing, I was absolutely sobbing. I don't know what people thought, but I didn't really care because I walked out there knowing that God is my father. And um, life has just, it has changed from that moment on. That was nine years ago. And as I look back over the time that I've been a Christian, God has changed me from the inside out. I just see that God has healed and restored every single area that I had single-handedly trashed. And he, he has restored relationships with friends, um, and He has given me loads of new friends. He has uh, restored me to my family. He has restored my career. Um, he's helped me settle all that debt. Where before I lived life for myself and on my own terms, I see now that there's real freedom and real joy in living for God and on His terms. And I love Him with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and I love others. And for me, that, that, that's what makes life worth living. And I can't thank Him enough for what He's done for me. You know, we're in Advent at the moment, as, as you know already from, from this service, and that word Advent means um, coming. You know, Advent really is a season and you're picking it up in the sermon series here at St. Luke's, about longing. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, 
a German pastor in, in sort of World War II time, said these words. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Maybe you're tuning into this this morning and you feel broken. You feel like Deb in that video, troubled in soul. Maybe you've never walked with Jesus. Maybe you don't know him. But you do know that something's not quite right in your life. And actually that comes because you're living apart from the one who made you. The one who loves you, the one who died for you. And so why not today start walking with Jesus and allow him to restore you. Restore you to the relationship that you were made for. Maybe in hearing this psalm this morning, you've, you've realised, you know what, I'm, I'm actually quite like the Israelites. You know, are you living a hypocritical life? You know, in, in a way, as Christians, we all do. Um, you know, what I preach doesn't always match up with what I practice. But maybe there is something in your life at the moment that deep down you know doesn't honour the Lord. And there's an easy fix to it. You may know all about God. You may profess love for God, just like the Israelites, but you're not honouring him, him in some way. God says, return to me. God says, honour me with your whole life and let me restore you. Maybe this morning you find yourself in despair, in distress. Something in life is really hard. Well, Advent is a really good time to reflect on how God has restored us. That's exactly what the psalmist did in verses 8 to 11. Rehearses what God has done for them. So why don't you do that this Advent? You've already heard that there's going to be some um, Advent devotions. Why not follow those each day? You may well know it, the message you're going to hear. But, but actually, every time we hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it feeds us. And as Bonhoeffer said in that quote, reminds us of this glorious future. Look to Jesus for restoration. And just imagine that this Advent, you do that. That actually during this period, your life is transformed in lots of different ways. Restored day by day in, in the little details. I'm sure you'll be cracking open an advent calendar and opening up each day and digging out a chocolate and enjoying it. Why not every day pray and seek God's restoration in your life in different areas? Ask him to reveal areas that, that need to be restored. And that promise of restoration is better than chocolate, isn't it? So this advent, allow Jesus to restore your life. Amen.